turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Are women's sports good for women? Most people would answer yes to that question, I think. Uh, And there's no denying that sports are good for girls and uh, women who have been born in the last 50 years. Uh, They're more fortunate than all the women who preceded them because of being able to play sports. But sports might not be too good for the women who were never, you know, given a chance to exist on the planet. That would be the millions of female babies who've been aborted since uh, Roe v. Wade in 1973. Nancy Armour is a columnist for USA Today. She writes that women's sports depend on abortion. She's right. It might be kind of hard for a woman who's seven months pregnant to run the 100-meter dash. She quotes an unnamed soccer player who says, quote, All the decisions I've made, the sacrifices I have made, and the time I have spent mastering my craft have been in the pursuit of excellence. I have honed my body and my mind through my efforts. To have any of that autonomy taken away, to have someone else make decisions for my body and my career, is to take away my life's pursuit. I don't know who that soccer player is, but of course there's always the option of not getting pregnant in the first place. There are ways to do that I think uh, that I think are pretty obvious to everybody. Even Megan Rapinoe chimed in. She's a lesbian, of course. She says, quote, uh, As women athletes and people in sports, we must have the power to make important decisions about our own bodies and exert control over our reproductive lives, unquote. Being a lesbian is a pretty good way of reducing your chances of getting pregnant, I think. But as usual... Uh, When it comes to selling abortion, everybody is considered except the dead baby. And who would want to put the life of a human being ahead of a woman's ability to score a goal in a soccer match? It's, It's nice to talk about all the opportunities that women have because of the ability to end the pregnancy. But you can't really ignore the opportunity for life that they're taking away from the human being that they produce, can you? I mean, 99% of the time, it's because of their own actions. Actually, more than 99%. It's a stupid argument and one that you would expect to hear from stupid people like Megan Rapinoe. Women were making adjustments in their lives after becoming pregnant long before Megan's mother made the decision not to abort her. It's idiotic and kind of juvenile to suggest that playing soccer or any other sport is any more justification for killing a baby than any other excuse for doing it. Meanwhile, uh, when we come back, we're going to take a look at how the media have done a really good job of beclowning themselves the last few days. Stick around. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding, 
Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Gnarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. One listener that stands out that I worked with was this older couple that was interested in refinancing. They reached out to a few different lenders and you know, their credit wasn't the best. I know some of these other bigger banks, you just won't hear back from them, which I cannot stand. Not everybody has the 780 credit scores and just because you don't qualify at one time, doesn't mean that you'll never qualify. I'll walk you through what you have to do, whether it's two, three, six months from now. Back to that older couple, we worked with them for months and months to improve their credit. And we were able to get the loan done. We were saving them hundreds each month, thousands of dollars a year. Finally got themselves into a situation financially that they can handle and they could start saving money each month for retirement. End of the day, they just could not be happier, which just put a huge smile on my face. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Meadow Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to MLS Consumer Access. Federal corporate analyst number 1330. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof. Or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months, no interest financing, and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. Offer valid through 123121. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrustpittsburgh.com. That's windowsrustpittsburgh.com. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. There are a lot of important things happening in the world right now, but if you click on Fox News uh, right now, you'll see a headline that says Justice for Gabby right at the top of their page. And another one that says Where's Brian? He's Gabby Petito's fi- fiance who may have murdered her. Uh, we're told that Gabby loved yoga and veggies uh, and, uh, as at the top of the page there. It's a tragic story, but it doesn't belong as the lead story on every news network. Uh, Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University, a media critic for FoxNews.com and The Hill, and a guy we like to lean on here for ethics in journalism. He joins us now. Jeff, always good to have you, and great to have you on this situation. Thanks. Thank you very much, John. Great to be with you. So, uh, am I wrong for suggesting that this story, as tragic as it is, uh, doesn't deserve one-tenth of the coverage, in my opinion, that it's been getting? Well, I do, I do agree with you. The uh, news coverage has been way expanded beyond what would be normal. If you're just looking at trying to decide the news value of this particular tragedy, uh, and again, I'm not meaning any disrespect at all to the young lady, uh, but, th- you know, this is a sad story. But on the greater scheme of what's going on in the nation and indeed the world, this probably should not be so high on the news agenda or taking as much time on the news agenda. You know, we do have some history, though, with these kinds of missing people suddenly catching the nation's fascination and getting a lot of news attention. You know, that was the case with Natalie Holloway a number of years ago, uh, with Lacey Peterson when she disappeared uh, you might remember the runaway bride, Jennifer Wilbanks. So, I mean, we've had some history with that. Uh, and the media knows that if they run heavy with this kind of coverage, that it will kind of spark the emotion of the audience, and it will get people to click or tune in to get their eyeballs. And I know that, you know, the news business at, at the bottom line, you know, has to attract an audience. But I guess my sense is 
uh, we at some point still need higher journalistic standards. And I'm not saying we just ignore these stories altogether, but I think we put them in context and proportion and say, you know, the Gabby story is, is a sad one. Uh, and we'll let you know what's going on with that. But it's not necessarily going to be the top story of every half hour, and it's not necessarily going to take up all of our web space with that. Uh, and, the, you know, the news media is always tempted to go in the pack mentality. And I think that's one of the, you know, most glaring examples here of when you see pack mentality, that they're all running, you know, with missing women uh, and, and usually missing vulnerable women. And, and I might even go on to say missing vulnerable and photogenic women, um, which kind of plays into stereotypes that people are only interested in certain kinds of missing people. Because as you know, there are all kinds of missing people around the nation right now as we speak, right? Uh, but nobody wanted to lead their news with them. And, and it's not only captured the national news media's attention, but my guess is your Pittsburgh local stations are finding the same kind of a fascination with it. I know the Indianapolis TV stations out here where I live in Indiana have been running a lot of coverage of this Gabby story as well. And I think, you know, one of the problems I always have when I look at this kind of saturation coverage is what is not being covered while we're spending so much time on this one, albeit tragic and sad story? Are there other things that maybe we should be telling the audience, hey, this is important too, and maybe more so in your daily life, than to cover the sad disappearance of Gabby Petito. Yeah, and one of those things might be the border. We'll get to that in a second. And I have another adjective to add uh, that I'm going to throw it in there, and that's uh, missing white women. I have a, uh, um, I mean, I, I disagree with uh, Joy Reid on just about, well, probably everything. And I think she's at MSNBC, and I think she's an idiot. But is she on to something when she says that this is another case of missing white woman syndrome? I, I'm sorry, but I think she is. Yeah, I think there is something to that. Uh, and we probably have to do some more content analysis to that. But all of the examples I just gave you a second ago were all missing white women as well. And I'm sure that as we talk right now, there are missing African-American women and missing Asian-American women and missing Hispanic women. Uh, who have not, for some reason or another, gotten the attention of the news media. And the sad thing is, when we turn up the bright lights on these individual cases, frequently we find out something about those cases, that people step forward or, you know, the, it, it certainly generates more police attention. I mean, this is one of those things where you think of how much police attention has gone into the Gabby Petito story over the last several days, and one of the reasons, I'm sure, is it's because it's a headline story across the nation on newspapers and, you know, cable news and that sort of thing. And I'm sure that the, 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 the sad family members of so many other missing people around the country are thinking, why won't the media take an interest in our case? Maybe we could get more FBI agents to look into the case of our missing loved one. Yeah, and uh, Governor DeSantis uh, in Florida came out and said that he's going to do everything he can uh, to help find uh, the the husband, or the, the fiancé. Um, and again, there's murders every day in Florida, unfortunately, in every other state. And as I pointed out on the show here yesterday, I think that the, and this may be true in just about every city, but in Chicago, I think it's like 13% of the murders, and there are lots of them, are, are uh, ever uh, solved in Chicago. And right. um, and we have babies, literally babies, infants up to, and kids four, five, six, seven years old being killed in drive-by shootings. Imagine uh, the, and those those uh, go unresolved. Un, uh, the, the, the person is never, the, they never find the person who did it. Imagine if they took, uh, the media took the interest in one of those stories that it has, that they've taken in the Gabby Petito story. Maybe it would, maybe the numbers would be better than 12 or 13% solved. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons I think the media doesn't want to t pay attention to some of those other tragic things is because, number one, it would take hard work to investigate and to get into those Absolutely. details. But also, I think if they did provide more direct attention, they might generate or, or prompt the law enforcement people to take more interest in those cases as well. And by the way, I know law enforcement resources are scarce. We, we don't have enough people to go around to solve every particular, you know, crime. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy that they are re researching so hard and investigating so hard to, you know, look at the Gabby Petito murder case. 
But as you suggest, there are many other murder cases, for some reason or another, that don't get as much media attention and then, therefore, as much law enforcement attention. And I think that that's tragic and is worth us kind of as a society sitting back and pondering, you know, what is it that makes us fascinated with certain people and not others? And, you know, having said all that, I would I would acknowledge that there is a unique mystery novel aspect, you know, to many of these cases, and the Gabby Petito one in particular, because, you know, she, she, she seemed so happy and wholesome and, you know, with a bright future ahead of her and all that kind of stuff, and everybody talked about how what a wonderful, wonderful person she was. So, I mean, it sounds like something out of, like, you know, a, sit, uh, you know, a murder mystery on television or a suspense movie, but that's not to say that it should cover up all of our news agenda or at least as much of it as it has over the last several days. And that was my next question. Uh, and we're talking to Jeff McCall of uh, DePaul University in Indiana um, and FoxNews.com and The Hill as a media critic. Uh, I have a problem with news operations turning a story like this into a, uh, a real-life murder she wrote mystery. And, and turning a story about a woman's death into a form of entertainment. Um, do you have a problem with that? Oh, yeah, and that's exactly what they are doing with it. I mean, again, it, it's not entertaining in the you know comedy kind of sense, but it's captivating, I would say, and it does make people want to follow it. And, you know, it will drive people to websites, and it will draw people to click on the, the news channels. And, you know, honestly, I think Fox News has maybe run with this even more than the other cable channels. And I think uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised at that because particularly they've got any number of other things they should be reporting about. I know you mentioned the border earlier. Right. That, that's certainly one. Uh, and, you know, we've had, you know, all kinds of chaos at the border since January. And generally, Fox has covered it more than other people. Uh, but I think over the last several days, particularly with the problems around Del Rio, we've got even more need to be covering that. And I think to step aside from the coverage of that, uh, not to mention just economic. I know economic conditions, you know, make people's eyes glaze over and a lot of people don't understand it. But that's also part of the burden of the news media, too, is to tell us, you know, why the important story should be interesting, not just telling us that interesting stories are important. Yeah, and I, I guess the problem I have, Jeff, is not just that the the the, the amount of coverage, but um, I, I notice my wife actually has interest in stories like this. This appeals, I think, more to women because it's a got the kind of emotion that maybe draws women in a little bit more. Because as you said, you know, this is the story about the girl, and she's a seems like a nice person, and blah blah blah. But I, as I'm watching it, I, I start thinking about if that were my daughter or my wife. And I and if I saw like a panel of people sitting around on on Fox or any other network, and I get the feeling that they're actually kind of enjoying picking through the details and coming up with different um, theories about what happened, and it, it does it turns into a, a game of Clue or or, or, a, or a murder she wrote uh, episode, and 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 they the people involved in telling the story seem to forget that that that, yeah, it's, it, that somebody died. At a certain point, it almost comes off as an invasion of privacy, and the, the gawking factor, you know, like trying to, you know, stop to look at a car wreck along the side of the road, you know, at a certain point does beget, you know, become a little creepy, I think, and that, that's where I think the news industry should kind of pause for a second and think, are we doing it the way, are we doing this the right, you know, are we doing the right thing here, not only in terms of the audience, but in terms of the, the grieving family who's lost a loved one. Yeah, and you're a professor of uh, communications at DePaul University. Is this something that you would, uh, is there a class that you teach or a situation that would come up where you would talk about this in class? Yeah, sure. I teach a course called Electronic Journalism, and we talk about news agenda setting and what makes news and, you know, what are the characteristics of news. And when you get right down to it, this story doesn't really have a lot of the characteristics of news, because when you think of news, you think of, you know, high-impact stories that affect a lot of people. You affect of, uh, you, you uh, look at whether the story has an impact on your particular geographic region. And so, I mean, this would have news in news value in Wyoming and Florida, but it wouldn't necessarily have any news value in western Pennsylvania. Odds are nobody in west, western Pennsylvania knows any of the players in this whole story. So, I mean, it doesn't really meet the characteristics when you define what, you know, what are traditional news values. It doesn't really fit that. But it goes way over the top uh, when you talk about human interest. 
And I think that's really the only news characteristic that we can look at. Uh, and I'm not sure that that should be the deciding factor, uh, given the amount of coverage that's been happening here. Any more than a feel-good story? Um, I can't think of a, a, a of an example right now, but there are plenty of feel-good stories out there that are uh, amazing stories about something a, an individual person did or something that happened uh, to a family that turns out to be a good story. And even if you even if you were focusing too much on that, you wouldn't be doing your job. It's not just about the fact that somebody died here. Yeah, and feel-good stories you can find all the time. Uh, but they usually kind of have a, a short shelf life. And I think I would say the same thing with this story. And again, not to be insensitive to the uh, poor deceased young lady, but this should have a short shelf life unless somewhere along the line, the news editors and producers can say, there's a bigger story or implication here that we are going to explain to you uh, rather than just kind of say, poor Gabby Petito is deceased now uh, and they've done an autopsy. Um, and then drag it on out. And, you know, one other aspect about this coverage that I have found very interesting, and I, wa- I watched a good deal of it over the last 24 hours, it's so repetitive. I mean, because, you know, for hours on end, nobody knew anything else. I mean, it, there were no new developments, but they kept droning on and just repeating themselves, even within the same, you know, minute or minute and a half, and then they'd bring on a correspondent who'd repeat the same things that the anchor had just talked about. And there's a point where I know... It's hard to fill a news hole. I know you've worked in the news industry for a long time. It's hard to fill time, but there's a point where it's like, all right, let's talk about something where we're just not repeating ourselves again. Yeah, and that and you and you just it's more a case of just uh, just overdoing it. Well, um, on to Whipgate. I don't know if you know what that, <laughs> that's what they're calling it now. A 27 year old columnist somewhere I forget where uh, somewhere out there wrote a story about the disaster on the Texas border that we've been watching. And, and based on pictures that she saw, she accused Border Patrol agents of whipping illegal immigrants as they were chasing them on horseback to try to get them, you know, get them, get them back across the border. Stupid, of course, but most of the media believed it and jumped all over it. And it was for, for a while, everybody was saying, that, you know, oh boy, they're whipping the black uh, immigrants and it's back to slavery and everybody jumped all over it. And I've talked about this with you before. I think it's a good case of more a wishful thinking journalism again. They love the story. They were hoping it was true, too many of them. Yeah, well, you know, I was searching on the Internet this afternoon to try to look for the video. And, and there, there is video of the, uh, the Border Patrol people on horseback, and you can see that they've got the reins for their horses in their hands. And, and they're long, of course. Um, but I don't know that there's any video specifically. Zero where we see, uh, you know, the, the, the immigrants being abused or hit with the whips. And uh, I, I do know, um, not that I'm an expert on this, but my uncle raised horses and I've ridden horses. Uh, reins tend to be pretty long, and sometimes yeah. they, use, they use them to, you know, give their horse a little spark. Yeah. Um, but not necessarily. They're really not long enough to reach out, I think, and hit a person any more than maybe just a foot or two away. But I must say... The video of the horses trotting around amongst those people could look quite terrifying. But I must say the law enforcement people down there probably really need to be on horseback to cover the terrain that they've got and to do the job they've got. And if they dismount, they're probably at a tremendous disadvantage against all the crowds there. But this goes to show, though, that limited amounts of video can create false impressions and reporters and commentators can come, jump to conclusions based on limited video. Video is always emotional in nature, and it never captures the full essence of what's going on. A perfect example of that was the Covington Catholic High School kids a couple yeah, years ago yeah. in Washington, D.C., that we just saw a little snippet, and everybody jumped to conclusions. And then when we find out later that that was a misrepresentation of what happened, uh, then you had uh, that Sandman young man, uh, collecting money from the various news organizations that defamed him. Lots of money. Hey, I'm out of time, Jeff, but uh, I, I really appreciate, as always, uh, you coming on. And by the way, uh, when policemen get on horseback, the whole idea is to scare you. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be afraid of the horse. I think it's supposed to be terrifying. <laughs> you bet, yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks. And, and those law enforcement have a very tough job down there, and they should use whatever means they need to to take control and also keep themselves safe. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye.
With SRN News, I'm John Scott. President Biden has met with Australia's Prime Minister. That follows last week's security announcement that angered France. As part of a new alliance with Britain and the U.S., Australia canceled a multi-billion dollar submarine deal with France. On the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly, President Biden met with Australia's Scott Morrison. Both leaders spoke about their efforts in the Indo-Pacific region, but they ignored reporters' questions about the diplomatic blow-up with France. What else corresponded Greg Cluxton? The Commerce Department reporting U.S. home construction rebounded 3.9% in August. That comes after a July decline with the strength coming in apartment construction. The August increase left home construction at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.62 million units, 17.4% above the pace of a year ago. The Dow up 74 points and the Nasdaq ahead 97. This is SRN News. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy! With attacks on all fronts, conservatives in America are now regrouping and reinventing themselves. How can the right reclaim its image and reputation and move forward? Find out on Rebuilding the Right, hosted by Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Discover innovative ways conservatives can put their best foot forward to reclaim America and get back to business. Join Dr. Sebastian Gorka for Rebuilding the Right. Afternoons at 3, right before John Steigerwald at 5 on AM 1250. The answer. Why doing it right roofing, siding, and remodeling? As an Owens Corning Roofing Platinum Preferred Contractor, it's simple. It's in their name. They're doing it right, and it's what you'd expect as a homeowner and what they intend to deliver. Call 724-NEW-ROOF. Want it done right? Call doing it right. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy & Hagerman. Writing an estate plan is one thing. Having the experience to administer the estate is something else. At Abernathy & Hagerman, estate administration isn't a side job. It's what we do. You have the same goals we all do, to protect your assets, to minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones that you love. How you get there, that's specific to you. So let's talk. Hagerman Law, legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. Water damage to your home or business? Don't know what to do next? At ServiceMaster of Greater Pittsburgh, we do. Demand the yellow van. Demand the yellow van. Service Master. Has your home or business been damaged by fire, water, or storm? Even when dealing with insurance, you have a choice who repairs and cleans up the mess. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Call Service Master. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in iHeart or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Delays continue on the Parkway East inbound from Edgewood-Swissvale to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel and pretty heavy from 2nd to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound volume from Bates Street to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Parkway West, a little congestion inbound. Green Street to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Outbound 51, seeing its share of delays. Colerain Street to Library Road, your delay running about 7 minutes there. Outbound 65, busy to the McKees Rocks Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer, Weather. Tonight will be mild with considerable clouds. We'll see a couple of showers this evening, followed by periods of rain and a thunderstorm late tonight, the low 65. Tomorrow, cloudy and breezy with a couple of showers of the morning, followed by periods of rain, some of which could be heavy. We'll also see a thunderstorm in the afternoon. Watch for flooding tomorrow, the high 74. A passing morning shower Thursday, otherwise mostly cloudy, breezy, high 62. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. 
This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, the Democrats are still trying to push through their plan to spend uh, $3.5 trillion that they've confiscated from all of us and have the federal government take more control over our lives than it ever has had, maybe permanently. Uh, One way to do that would be to take more control over your kids' or your grandkids' education. Carrie Lucas of the Independent Women's Forum has a warning for parents, and she joins us now. Carrie, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me on. So, um, have Democrats uh, seized an opportunity here to get more involved in education uh, because of COVID hysteria? Is that where this is coming from? Well, you know, I feel like this is a long, um, a long priority for the left has always been to control what's happening in schools. And parents around the country have seen, um, really, partially because of COVID and all of the online classes, they've had a kind of new window into all of the nonsense that their kids are being taught. But what I think is interesting and what's happening right now and what I really hope people will pay attention to is some of what's going on in this $3.5 trillion um, spending spree um, as it has as it ha- as it revolves around daycare and preschool um, because not many people are talking about it or people say like oh great you know we all want more funding for child care and hooray it would be great to have my preschool paid for um, but in fact this is with big government uh, money comes big government control and that's what I'm really worried about so what is the plan for preschool yeah, so the, um, the left is very, the, the bill that's out there, um, doesn't really tell you. It just says we're gonna give, we're gonna give a couple hundred billion dollars, um, and we're going to have states um, put together a plan, and they will subsidize preschool. But what we do know, so it sounds, you know, it doesn't sound like much to shoot at, and it's one that is kind of, I think, swept under the rug. But when you start looking at the details of some of what the other kind of language and some of kind of the, what's surrounded this conversation about government, the federal role in preschool, you'll start seeing that the White House has said um, that the federal government, um, if they're going to be providing this money, that they are going to have some standards. And among those standards is that they want a developmentally appropriate, and they use the word in inclusive curriculum. Well, I don't know about you, but that sets off some alarm bells for me because when I hear the word inclusive, I know that that's often used as a code word for CRT type of materials. Um, and it's just, you know, you don't, they certainly aren't putting out there that they're going to use this to mandate that all um, three-year-olds are instructed in CRT. But we've seen this creep. This is exactly what we've seen over over years. Um, and you're going to have, you know, right now there's a lot of, of religious institutions that offer daycare. Um, you know, daycare serving kids as young as, you know, a few weeks old um, to, um, to three-year-olds and then preschools that have three- to five-year-olds, um, a lot of them are faith-based. Um, you know, are these faith-based institutions going to want to comply with whatever nonsense the federal government ends up forcing upon them? Um, you know, if they don't want to, they're going to be faced with a really unlevel playing field because all of the ones that have gotten a stamp from government are going to be heavily, heavily subsidized by taxpayers. So what you're going to find is really we're going to be moving towards a one-size-fits-all, you know, no religion, only government-approved public school systems, um, but that it's going to be for our zero- to five-year-olds. I think that seems very dangerous, and I don't think that's what parents really want. So I would, um, you know, they shouldn't be kind of romanced into this idea of, hooray, we're going to get, you know, additional funding. Um, this, is, this is really bad news in terms of the kind of services that are going to be available. Well, my grandkids uh, went to preschool at a, um, at a church, and... Um I'm trying to imagine, I mean, uh, what what would this church do with more money? Um, I mean, I, I mean that, that's what I, I don't understand. What's the incentive for these people to take the government's money? What are they, they going to get? What are they going to do with whatever money they get? Give the teachers a raise? I, I don't understand what they can send the money on. Crayons? I mean, I don't know. Well, the thing is that, that um, there's going to be limits on how much um, they're trying to make it so um, so that parents don't have to pay for childcare. So right now, if you're paying for preschool, it can often be very expensive um, in parts of the country. There's it can be very expensive, and it does create a, you know, a real hardship if daycare providers and you know um, I'm here in the D.C. area, and it can sometimes cost you know twelve hundred dollars a month to have daycare for for an infant. And so what the government is promising is that a family like mine, they would say, hey, you only have to pay you know, a couple hundred dollars um, a month, and the taxpayer will pick up the rest. 
So, and what that's meant to do is to encourage more people to use daycare. All of a sudden, the, the families who have a parent at home are going to start saying, well, I guess I may as well, like, you know, if it's basically free, um, I may as well stick little Johnny into, um, into the government daycare down the block and get a job. Um, so they are trying to encourage people to use daycare. And I think that's kind of problematic to begin with. Um, but then especially when you imagine that um, how much more control they're going to have over what is going to happen at that church. Because the church is all of a sudden, whatever the, the cost was for your, um, for your grandchild, um, it's going to be comparatively a lot more than it would be at a government, one that's gotten that, that government stamp of approval, because the taxpayers will be footing the bill. So it's going to be harder and harder for them to compete. Um, and can they end up putting private preschools out of business then? Exactly. Oh, absolutely. This is, I think this is exactly the, the direction you're going to be going in. Anyone who doesn't want to follow the rules that the government has laid out will be, have a really tough time staying in business. You know, we've seen this. This is, you know, if you think about um, the, the challenge that there's been for, um, for private schools around the country um, today, you know, in the K-12 through space, and it is because you have a free alternative. So, you know, um, I have my five kids are in, um, in K-12 through and they're all K through 12, and they're in our public school. Why do I send them to public school? Gosh, because it'd be really hard to pay for my five kids um, at a private school, right? And so, you know, I, it would be wonderful. I wish I could, but because I don't have school choice, I don't have the capacity to pay. I've got to take whatever it is that my local government is. is um, is offering me. Um, well, that's going to be much more akin to what's going to happen at the, um, at, you know, for kids five and under, um, because there's going to be this essentially free alternative, which means those private daycare providers, those private pro- providers um, that do offer religious instruction or have an environment that's different than what the government's going to want, um, it's going to be harder for them to stay in business. I, I'm from an era when uh, kids didn't go to preschool. Um, some, uh, probably yep. half the kids I knew didn't even go to kindergarten. You started in first grade. And I've always, I've, I've looked at this as I've seen my kids and my grandkids go through this where they, where they have to have organized school at three a year, three and four years old, maybe even younger. Uh, are there any studies that show that it's worth it? That they're actually getting something out of it? No, you know, it's actually, you're, um, you're absolutely right, and I do think that this is something where there's a tremendous amount of misinformation, um, because you can find a few studies out there um, that have taken some, like, really low-income kids, kids with tremendous disadvantages, um, you know, with, like, really young teenage moms and um, from really poor backgrounds, and they were kind of given an intensive program, and these are the studies that are always cited to say, gosh, look at the great return on investment. And there was some evidence that in these circumstances, um, this had a great reward. When you look for the general population, when you just look for an average kid, um, there, there is no compelling evidence that suggests that they're better off from going to daycare um, or to preschool. There's just, there just isn't there. And even when you look at something I find completely revealing, when you look at um, We have a federal program, and it's called Head Start, and it was meant to improve student readiness. It was supposed to help poor kids or disadvantaged kids um, be ready to learn in school. And there have been congressionally mandated studies of the effect of Head Start, and guess what they find? Nothing. (laughs) They can't find any lasting benefits to um, participation in Head Start. They're spending, I believe it's $8,000, maybe $10,000 a kid now, um, and we're getting nothing for it. It's, it's, Head Start is much more expensive than um, than your average public school per or, uh, preschool um, per hour. Um, but there just isn't evidence of this. So that's another one. You know, you you won't find them talking about Head Start when we have this this conversation about preschool. And that's why because it's just they haven't done a good job. So I don't know why we would double down on this. You know, I, I feel like parents need to to really pay attention and say, you know, if you think parents need more help, okay, fine. We can talk about this. We can talk about how to help parents that lack resources that could use a financial break, but let's give the money to them for heaven's sakes. Let's not give it to fund a bureaucracy, a government bureaucracy, much like our K-12 through schools, which failed us so miserably during COVID. Why would we double down on that model? Yeah, now you're talking about my favorite thing, which is school choice. And yeah. um, there are lots and lots of advertisements, uh, commercials out there on YouTube and uh, TikTok and uh, Twitter, anywhere, anyways, any place you want to look. Great advertisements for school choice, and most of them are, are uh, made unwittingly by teachers saying stupid things on, on their various platforms. 
and and all the other uh, evidence that everybody should be able to to uh, have seen. You know, as you mentioned, uh, during COVID, with them shutting down schools and make, forcing the kids to stay home or uh, go uh, to school um, virtually, um, is this all? Uh, could this all end up being uh, the exact opposite of what the Democrats want, and you end up with more uh, just advertisements for school choice and and a, and a boon to the school choice movement? Well, you know, I don't know. I do worry. I really do worry about giving. Um, creating the incentive structure of having all this free um, child care um, and creating a new bureaucracy because that is, you know, we've seen how hard it is. Even when the teachers' unions um, did such a tremendously awful job, a really like an inexcusably awful job putting kids last, they're still not really held to account. I'm here in Virginia. Um, parents are furious about, um, about what's happened and how terribly our public schools let us down last year. But, you know, at this point, there's everything's just ticking along. They're still getting paid. Nobody was fired. The stu- the terrible um, school board people who are in my my school board, they're still there. They're collecting big checks. Um, they're doing a bad job now, although it's a little bit in person. It's just you know. So I do worry that this is you're gonna, you're going to have a new unionized and um, government dependent class, and that's going to be everybody who works for these private um, for these um, childcare centers. We're talking I don't to, know. I worry about it. Yeah, we're talking to Carrie Lucas. She's president of Independent Women's Forum. You can find her piece on this at the Federalist, uh, thefederalist.com. Uh, down uh, the road here from where I am in West Virginia, they actually uh, were able to come up with a school choice system that gives yeah. like a little less than $5,000 to every parent for each one of their kids. Um, would that be something that, based on your experience with a lot of kids in school and uh, and uh, people you know, maybe you know the friend, the parents of the friends of your kids. What would that do? If and it's only five thousand dollars, but what would that do for people like you and, and people you know, uh, as far as giving them a cho- a real choice? Oh, it would be so liberating. I can't even, um, it's hard to imagine how wonderful that would be because, yeah, absolutely. There's so many people who are frustrated and want to get out of, out of school um, or get out of their schools, but um, they have no leverage. You know, there's no reason for my um, schools to take me seriously. I complain about different things that go on, and they, you know, have a nice form email that I get. They truly could not care less about the experience of parents like me. Um, so I would, uh, being able to escape would be wonderful. $5,000, you're right. It doesn't fully cover tuition at most places around here, but I would be, I'd be thrilled. And I think it's just absolutely wonderful that West Virginia has done this. And I bet there's a lot of people, you know, it's interesting. One thing that COVID has done, as we've all seen, um, it's freed people up so that they have a greater capacity to move. Your jobs are, are more, um, it's a lot more remote work options. I bet West Virginia is going to see a lot of parent, young parents um, moving, heading their direction. Well, there's a grade school here that that I know of, Catholic grade school. You can you can you can get your kid in there for five thousand bucks a year, um, yeah. and and, and it just it, it just seems to me that um, it, it's it, would, it seems obvious to me that if as in the case of West Virginia, if uh, it became known that every parent had five thousand dollars for each kid, there'd be a lot of little schools opening up that charged five thousand dollars per kid. It yeah, just, it you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's wonderful. And um, the ability to, for um, you think of all the homeschoolers out there, especially with the littlest kids who could find some just great services, and, um, and I'm sure their kids could really blossom. And here's, here's the thing about the West Virginia thing. I don't know how much you've looked into that, or uh, this is the great thing about it, is that in West Virginia, you can do whatever you want with that, uh, I think it's like $4,600, including... Yeah. If you, uh, Carrie Lucas, if you wanted to get uh, uh, ten parents uh, uh, together who uh, of, of your your kids' classmates, you could say to them, "We're going to have our own school, and we're going to hire a teacher to teach nobody but our ten kids, and we're going to pay them seventy thousand dollars a year, and the government's going to pay us fifty thousand of it, and you could have your own private teacher teaching your kids every day." Yeah, it's 
it's wonderful to think of all of the, you think of all the innovation that's happened over um, in so many facets of our lives and the new way we have services delivered and the new way that our needs are met. And here we have, you know, I'm waiting for my kids' buses, you know, late again, and um, this is how yeah. I feel every afternoon. And um, uh, and it's just crazy that, that we we shouldn't be so beholden to this um, tr- completely retro and outdated model of the the, um, the way that our K-12 public schools are run. It's a tremendously, it's a tremendously powerful model to think of, of what you could do and what people could do together if they were given just some of the money that is supposed to be going to their kids um, back and they got to control it. Uh, only a minute left here with Carrie Lucas, president of Independent Women's Forum. I, I, one quick question, uh, and if, if you can answer it in a minute. Um, what is it that, the, 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 is this a, an evil attempt by the Democrats to actually indoctrinate, or is it, how much of it is just the Democrats just love the government to be in charge of everything? You know, I mean, I know there's a little bit of both, but which is, which is the most <laughs> disturbing part of this? You know, I think the overwhelmingly, um, the biggest part of it is probably just wants, um, you know, they just think government's better at everything, so want them to, to do it, and just bigger is better, and they truly think they're going to help people. Um, but I do think there's, what we've seen coming from the universities is this recognition that education is a way to manipulate the next generation, um, and I, I think they do see it as an opportunity. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Carrie. Uh, I'm out of time, but uh, it's Carrie Lucas, president of Independent Women's Forum. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, we'll be right back. If you're in the market for metal roofing, siding, and garage doors, Kaufman Metals in Bedford can meet your expectations with friendly professional service. Their equipment is right up to date with the newest technology and ready to produce your standard and customized metal panels and trims to your exact specifications for any project with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Plus, Kaufman Metals offers complete do-it-yourself building packages included with computer-generated drawings. Kaufman Metals also provides sales and service for CHI residential and commercial garage doors. They deliver any order, large or small, to any place with full-service rollback trucks and trailers with a Moffat forklift to set building packages conveniently close to your project. And just so you know, they offer contractors discounts as well. Visit KaufmanMetals.com or call 814-623-6044 or stop in at 6146 Lincoln Highway, Bedford, PA. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life, and he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft, breathable, but extremely durable, and Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors, and Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. For a limited time, you'll get 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets. You'll receive a set for as low as $49.99. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code STAG. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper and so much more. Call 1-800-716-8087. Use the promo code STAG. Go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code STAG. Is it time to push reset and get away with God? Christian travel creates purposeful pauses to discover the most scenic, sought-after destinations while you immerse yourself in the wonder of God's creation. As you travel alongside the world's top Christian leaders, every step of the way will revive your faith and awaken your sense of wonder. Imagine morning devotions on the deck of a cruise ship as you pass towering Alaska glaciers or tropical Caribbean islands. Perhaps you're longing to set foot in the very places where Jesus walked and taught in Israel. Every day on a Christian cruise or tour brings you to new vistas while you enjoy uplifting music and powerful messages. Get away with God in a faith-focused journey and the unforgettable memories you create will refresh you long after you return home. For more information, visit inspirationcruises.com or call 800-247-1899. That's inspirationcruises.com or call 800-247-1899. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. W223CS Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey.
People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Gnarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. I remember a while back when um, the New York Post uh, broke the story about Hunter Biden's laptop and what was in it and all the emails. And I don't have time to go into all the details, but I think you remember the story. Well, back when that happened, uh, this was back on uh, December, October 19th, so almost exactly a year ago, uh, October 19th, 2020. Uh, the headline in, uh, the, uh, in, at Politico was, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo, dozens of former intel officials say. And the writer, Natasha Bertrand, the first paragraph said, more than 50 former senior intelligence officials have signed on to a letter outlining their belief that the recent disclosure of emails allegedly belonging to Joe Biden's son, quote, has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information disinformation operation. Well, guess what came out in Politico today in their section called Playbook? Ben Schreckinger's book, The Bidens, Inside the First Family's 50-Year Rise to Power, finds evidence that some of the purported Hunter Biden laptop material is genuine including two emails at the center of last October's controversy. A person who had independent access to Hunter's Biden emails, Hunter Biden's emails, confirmed he did receive a 2015 email from a Ukrainian businessman thanking him for the chance to meet Joe Biden. The same goes for a 2017 email in which a proposed equity breakdown of a venture with Chinese energy executives includes the line 10 held by H for the big guy. The big guy, of course, is Joe Biden. So that's in a year. It took a year for Politico to come around to finding somebody who wrote a book about this. And remember, the New York Post, Twitter took the New York Post off of Twitter for reporting this story a year ago. And this is where we are now. More from the stinking media. We talked about it at the top of the show. And we're going to end the show talking about the stinking media. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.